You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. All right, I'm going to start with a green shell. Nah, probably a red. I'm not in first place yet. Alrighty, guys. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast, coming to you live from Flooded Strand. Because, much like Mario Kart, this episode's going to cover an entire joke, which was the Q3 Hasbro earnings call. Yes. How Wizards of the Coast impacted it, uh, how Hasbro is impacting Wizards of the Coast, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So, without further ado, we'll get the shells shooting and get started. Okay. So, uh... Again, Star City, Ben Blyweiss, and Nick Miller did a, a really good write-up of the Investor article, and we will be linking both of those in the show notes. And the initial highlight we want to talk about is what they key on very acutely, first off, and it is the third quarter 2020 finance results. It's the image that you see at the top of the screen right now. And basically, the important part of this table is that revenue is down 15% year over year and there is a 40 percent decline in operational profits now this is has on the whole this is not watsy so we're just looking at like the the big picture here right this is where we are this is where a lot of that spin out came from to continue the mario kart mario kart punnage about people discussing what is going on with has and how they can expect growth at the numbers that they quoted. Yeah, and I think the the important thing here is, and this is something we'll touch on in our next episode actually, is that Hasbro's overarching issues, whatever you want to call it, their overarching philosophy, does impact Wizards of the Coast a lot. Mm -hmm. What's going on at that company, and this is something we exemplified previously in our last earnings call episode, like the overall health of Hasbro directly impacts the quality of the product that Wizards of the Coast delivers. And when it's treated as like a cash cow, Alt Fox, thank you very much, uh, things kind of hit a kink. Mm -hmm. And this call was very interesting because we kind of saw under the hood for one of the first times of like not just the common narrative of what Hasbro has been telling us about Wizards of the Coast and how it works. We got to peel back a little and see what's actually going on here uh, because there were a lot of things they touched on as like reasons for the overall decline, some of which directly impact Wizards of the Coast and are directly impacted by Wizards of the Coast. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a like, again, this is something we harped on in the last episode. Like these calls are actually very important because at the end of the day, Wizards of the Coast is a business. Hasbro is a business. They are going to do whatever makes them the most possible amount of money in the short term because that's way more appealing than long-term cash. General philosophy, that's just how it is. Yep. This is also kind of a unique year for Hasbro on the whole anyway where they bought at least one game studio and uh, yeah, one or two, I think. That was, was uh, that's for um, at, at least for Moto, right? They bought that 
Or they bought so they, something for a digital. They licensed out. They bought a game company that helped release whatever that awful Dungeons and Dragons game was with Drizzt. Yes. Yeah. That game was trash. Yeah. But I digress. So they they bought at least one game company and they they picked up a number of other interesting uh, tech pieces this year. So there's also a lot of fudging of those numbers because they're associated properties with various licenses and various slices of Watsi. A lot of that tech, obviously, not Watsi, sorry, Hasbro, but a lot of those do get sliced up under Watsi because that's where a lot of that tech is focusing. This yeah. isn't like the movie studio where they made some number of terrible G.I. Joe movies. Three of them, maybe? Look, things went really well when they decided to kill everyone besides um, Channing Tatum, I think, and then bring in uh, Bruce Willis, maybe The Rock? I don't know. That's how you save a franchise. Yeah, that's... I, the Expendables would Yeah, like exactly. To it's all about family, guys. We're the Fast and the Furious Wizards of the Coast. It's the greatest magic you'll ever know. Now, the, immediately after that first image, there is a, another table that basically goes over you know, segment performance, and this dives in a little deeper. We, we see Watsi compared to other products, and we begin seeing uh, EBITDA data. And again, EBITDA stands for Earnings Before Interest, Taxes, and Amortizations, and it's a measure of a company's profitability that is mainly used by investors and it is helpful for the comparison of one company to another in the same line of business so pitting Hasbro against Mattel and it can provide a more accurate view of a company's real performance over time yeah so we're looking at these EBITDA tables now and we can see pretty clearly Watsi is positive by about 102 million in Q3 2022 uh, that was all the way on the right hand side of the table and it's down 36% compared to Q3 2021 and there were a number of reasons cited for this that come up in a little bit yeah and I I think one of the interesting things too here is, and this is in the other, the financial release link that we'll have, if you take a deep dive into that and you actually look at it uh, the third quarter disparities are much more stark mm-hmm. than the year-to-date disparities. Yes. Uh, and I think that has to do primarily with release schedule. Uh, and hear me out on this. Uh, last year, we had a slower release schedule. This year, very accelerated. So for better or worse, more products means more sales. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of helped them year to date catch up, even if the quarter report, the quarterly report is horrifying yes. compared to what it looks like. Right. So uh, there's a, a very quick snippet in the Star City article if you want to get these next bunch of bullet points and our rantings distilled. And it, they come shortly after the EBITDA table. And when you look at the Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming segment, you see that the revenues decreased 16%. And these are the bullet points that Hasbro gave their investors on the call. Revenues decreased 13%, excluding a negative 8.7 million impact of foreign exchange. Okay, so, sure. Yeah. We are just down 13%, and that is without the economic issue that we're seeing that changes currency exchange. Yeah. Sure, right? Operating profit of 1.2 million was down 36%, which we just talked about. You can see that clearly in the EBITDA table. 
and reflects the lower revenue, higher product costs, incremental royalty expense with new universes beyond card set releases, amortization from the acquisition of the D&D Beyond and continued higher investment in development. And these declines were partially offset by launch-related product development, advertising and depreciation costs associated with Dark Alliance that released in early third quarter 2021. So, so you mentioned up top that we're seeing licensing fees essentially used as I don't want to say an excuse but finally a line item to point to a drop in profits we didn't see that previously I honestly forgot that you know we had to license Godzilla from Toho but we absolutely yeah. did and that wasn't called out for Ikoria and no. uh, you right or the secret layer yeah, and you rightly mentioned that it's not like the Lord of the Rings IP is a cheap license from the Tolkien estate. Yeah, Doctor and Who is not a cheap license. From the BBC, no. And Transformers is, because guess who owns the license? Your company. Uh, it's, it's just, this one is one of the most damning things, because to me, this is something that investors can look at and say, look, look at our earnings before these products. Look at what our earnings now with these products compared to what they were without. Are we getting a better return on our investment? Excuse me. If we don't spend the money on these licensing fees, if we don't do this universes beyond product. Uh, and I think that that is something, and this is when I mentioned, you know, you're getting a little bit of a look under the hood that we haven't had before. They've never really mentioned anything like this because one, it hasn't existed. Uh, and two, They've never mentioned the acquisition of a platform like D&D Beyond, which for those of you that don't know, is basically a distribution platform for modules for D&D, often user-created. Uh, Wizards of the Coast used to partner with them to help release content. They recently purchased them. So that's another thing that I think may give kind of those AltaFox-minded people some sort of credence to maybe we should spin this off because if you were working fine with this platform before and now you're paying for this platform and it's not giving us a return on our investment do we really want like hasbro running the ship here mm -hmm. or do we just want to be our own thing yeah uh because again hit them in the pocketbook that's where it matters that's where they'll notice and this was the ceo saying yes our planning hit us in the pocketbook we don't know if it's going to pay off or not because our earnings are down from what they were the year before. Yep. So. Yeah. I, the other thing I find interesting is that uh, the mention of these declines were partially offset by launch-related product development, advertising, and depreciation costs associated with uh, – it doesn't matter what. And I'm curious if they are finally in a spot now where – Holding in a little more. These declines were partially offset by product development. There is a way to do engineering work, uh, software development essentially, and do it in such a way that it's a tax write-off. And I wonder if they just finally figured that out because they brought <laughs> in an actual development studio. Yeah. Nah, we never knew before. It's fine. What? Yeah. You know, and it, so that, that's just one of those things that kind of keys into into something relevant to me, and I, I don't think I would have noticed that otherwise uh, had I not known that that is actually a possibility. But 
I don't understand the part where they mention advertising because advertising is always uh, a negative line item. And yeah. the the easiest place to see that is in the entertainment industry, which Hasbro is tangentially related th- thanks to the brand Blueprint. And basically, the when you think about a, a theatrical release movie, it's the easiest example. Whatever the budget is, it, the movie costs twice as much to make because they spend that amount, that same amount almost exactly, on advertising. So when you go to look to see if a movie is profitable, you have to look at the cost that it took to make the movie, the overall budget, multiply that by two, and then check the box office earnings. And only after you break past budget X2 are you profitable. Yeah. And so I don't know how you offset with advertising when it is mainly just a black hole it, that is meant to make you money so maybe they're doing some better analytics works and they're seeing that, that could be yeah. certain bits of advertising are finally actually beginning to pan out and they can see that in their data sets and that's cool but yeah other, other than that the uh the royalty thing is kind of interesting especially finding out that uh m30 might not have cost them anything because they didn't do any kind of legwork and so or pay the artist to use their art. That could be a line item next year. <laughs> yeah. Lawsuit settlements. <laughs> yeah. So that that's an interesting thing. And then the last bullet point here for this drop in revenue is for the full year on a constant currency basis, we expect high single digit revenue growth behind a strong Magic the Gathering tabletop release schedule for the fourth quarter. So we know that's Brothers War that is Brothers War Commander. That is Dominaria Remastered. Yeah. And I think, is there a Dom Remastered Commander set? I think there is. Verifying Brothers War Commander. Oh, Jumpstart is in there. Oh, my God. Oh, Dom Remastered. I'm sorry. That's January 2023. Oh, the yes, it is. Starter yep. Commander decks. Pioneer yeah. Challenge decks. And... That's really about it. Uh, they can try and fudge the numbers with the secret layers stuff, the extra life, and the countdown kit, but those closed last week. Um, they did sell out of secret layer 30 kits, um, and the extra life one closed kind of unceremoniously. Yeah. But. Uh, and there, there was one other thing that uh, Cox mentioned during the call, which I want to harp on for a second, uh, and that's that part of it is uh, high levels of inventory. Mm-hmm. What? Well, sell it to the LGS if it's Wizards of the Coast stuff. Stop making shitty toys that nobody wants. Ah! I don't understand. I if, if you're undercutting the LGS, and this to me harkens back to something you and I have mentioned, and that's mm-hmm. that it doesn't seem that the people who came over from Hasbro understand the position of an LGS in the ecosystem. Uh, And the reason being that there are a lot of people that just walk into stores and just, oh, I'm going to buy a box. It actually happens. You know what they don't do? They don't sit in their basement or sit in their house watching football, watching the news, watching whatever disappointing episode of Game of Thrones they're on on season eight uh, and think, man, I would really love to buy a box of magic cards right now. Mm-hmm. If you give those to the LGS for an affordable price, they can move. Yes, That's all I wanted to say. I hate it. Yeah. I. It's not like there's a lot of product that they release at the beginning and the middle of the year that's just rotting, unless for whatever reason Double Feature didn't sell as well as they expected it to, and it's rotting there. Uh 
Nuka Pena, maybe Neo was a banger, right? That yeah. was this year. Uh, as like all that product was great. Maybe, maybe there is some weird commander product that just didn't move. And like that, that's my hope is just that there is some rancid product maybe that just didn't yeah. move, and so now they're stuck with it. But that's also a lesson. If you don't just fire hose product, you can make better product. Sure can. By spending more time in the development phase, and it all works out well for you. Now, the last part of this is that uh, this conversation is so this all happens uh, early in October, like the 4th. And that's when this call is. The breakout that we're looking at from Hasbro came out on the 18th. Star City keyed in pretty shortly there as well, uh, around the same time. However, when this call was happening live, Watsi was also making announcements on behalf of Magic 30 that just happened in Vegas and the paired event in Philadelphia that some people are saying has quietly lost the Magic 30 title and it is no longer being listed as an anniversary event. So we'll TBD on what exactly is going to go on in Philly. I mean, you lose a World Series to the Astros and maybe people just strip you of everything now uh, what a disaster that was terrible for baseball oh i digress now hasbro stock during this call saw a rise and it saw a fall and it was purely serendipitous to what was going on with watsi the m30 announcement had nothing to do with either one of these it was literally what was going on on the call what investors could see because apparently hasbro also decided to black out the stream purposefully yeah now that was a good one let's obfuscate our data because that doesn't seem sketchy at all yeah fucking morons so i'm just gonna verbatim uh two paragraphs in uh, in part of this discussion the first is from the the motley fool article in addition to discussing the new quote-unquote gathering convention for magic fans in las vegas m30 progress on playtesting the company's new quote one D edition of dungeons and dragons bundling hard copy and online versions of the quote-unquote Dragonlance game and previewing new Dungeons and Dragons movies and television shows, Hasbro's laid out some numbers for the company as a whole. Now, the majority of that I don't understand because it's all D&D related. I don't know what one D&D is and I don't know what Dragonlance is. What I care about is the fact that they cite the Dungeons and Dragons movies and television shows, but there's no mention of the Magic the Gathering show that they've been working on on Netflix. Maybe or maybe not. That wasn't a line item during the call. That wasn't a, a line item move, like fudged any, anywhere else in this budget unless it's somewhere deep inside that movie studio and we just don't know. So to yeah. me, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, that's really telling. the The other one I also like is uh, they, and this this is important. Uh, so currently, Hasbro shares are selling for seventeen times the earnings valuation. Uh, yet again, the the C level executives have not purchased any more Hasbro stock, which is something that Alta Fox harped on, mm -hmm. as you can see in our episode. Uh, free cash flow at the company remains weak. Less than half of the company's income over the last 12 months is like actual cash on hand. Uh, and they have $3.5 billion in debt more than cash on hand, which includes the software studio they just sold before they finished paying it off. Uh, these are not good decisions. Nope. 
they're just not. And that combined with the announcement of brand blueprint 2.0 and the promise of continued revenue growth is what tanked the stock during that call. So the other direct quote, in particular, over the next several years, Hasbro will target mid-single-digit sales growth on average, culminating in annual sales of $8.5 billion in 2027, about a $2 billion improvement in five years. And mid-single-digit sales growth, you think five to seven, and like that's not terrible. That is approachable. They have lost some important brands, like we discussed last year. They lost the Disney Princess line, which includes Frozen and all the other cash cows that come with it. So they are going to have to figure out what to do with this. Uh, In the investor call, they do cite the My Little Pony movie they released in 2021 as a large area of profit for that division and why that is so far behind. They can almost see a one-to-one correlation in those numbers. So, sure. Continuing on. At the same time as the company is growing sales, it will be cutting costs as much as $250 million to $300 million annually by 2025. Helping with this, Hasbro aims to exit any of its franchises that are currently unprofitable and trim unprofitable product items. This last bit is actually a little interesting and kind of scary to me. If you go back to our episode about AltaFox, we touch on a couple of things of interest. And if you read through the documentation, AltaFox is very clear to call out all the divisions that are unprofitable and the IPs. One of them is still the Power Rangers. I don't think that IP is making any money despite the continued dumping of figures that they do. One of the big things at Hasbro PulseCon was the, like, make your own. And you can make your own Star Wars figure, Power Rangers figure, Ghostbusters figure. There's the Power Rangers Lightning series, which I have bookmarked because when they release that Green Ranger helmet and dagger, I will buy them. <laughs> but I don't pay them millions for this. Yeah. So that IP is still tanking. I do not know what this company is going to look like in three years, two and a half no. years, when they're done shedding all these unprofitable IPs and elements. Like it's just going to be, I had imagined the basic toy lines that we know, a handful of board games because apparently everybody needs a copy of Monopoly before they realize it's ass. Yeah. And then Hasbro, or, sorry, and then Magic. Or, yeah. Well, not Magic, Watsy, because D and D is still profitable, and some of the other odds and ends they make. Like, what is this company going to be when they're done with this? Like, uh, it's it's going to be fascinating to see, because uh, I you know I don't I don't know how profitable Transformers is. Are they even still making movies? I have no idea at this point if there have been any movies recently but i feel like it hasn't been relevant for a decade no i the original cartoon continues to remain relevant because there's always a gem somewhere and the last thing that i saw was uh a jazz musician break down the themes from um a musical theory standpoint and it's ridiculous it is a, a ridiculous theme song to try and chart out and both the intro and outro, it sounds like the record needle skips because there's just <laughs> like these two hard cuts, one in each, where it just like loops back and yeah. it doesn't sound like the live band did that. So it's that's the most relevant and interesting that that series remains for me. And in all honesty, if they want to reboot it again like they did with the Bumblebee movie, like cool, sure. Like make them look like yeah. 
they used to. Less Michael Bay and more yellow, and I think we'll be fine. Yeah. But then they have, like, Mr. Potato Head. Like, how many kids have a Mr. Potato Head? Right. Do do they still make those? I think so. They make a Mr. and a Mrs. Maybe they make, like, a little spud. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I I think when the Toy Story movie franchise times out, Mr. Potato Head might time out as well. Probably, yeah. Tragic. There, there was the the one last statement that you did want to touch on. So, quoting directly again from the article, specifically to Hasbro's late-breaking announcement that no matter how bright the future appears in the third quarter of 2022, it's look, look, looking at a likely 15% decline in year-over-year sales. And for the year, only flat to negative sales growth. Right? Yeah. So that's across the entire org. That is, with Watsi included, 15% decline in year-over-year sales. And for the year, only flat negative sales growth. So, yeah, and and this is something that like, to me, this is important because Wizard Solo has weathered plenty of economic turmoil. Mm-hmm. Uh, early two thousands, there was a lot going on. Uh, the economy took a giant dump, and then recovered. You know what was still doing fine then? Magic. I, it, it can weather this. My issue with this is I don't believe in Hasbro's ability to let Watsy weather this. And that is, like, why I'm, like, a yeah. little bit hesitant. Yeah, we know that they like to move. They like to treat Watsy like a slush fund. And yep. those profits go to buy things for the other parts of the organization. The, the major question I have is that discusses sales. Sales is discussed in the investor call links to those numbers you can pull it out but i don't know when you look at entertainment what they consider a sale yeah um we we just mentioned the we we keep harping on the the freaking movie studio but beyond that streaming numbers are weird and i know the my little pony ip used to be on netflix so i don't know what happens there i don't know how royalties work from there i don't know if those are considered sales and so if if entertainment isn't plugged into that, maybe that number is better or worse than it could be because entertainment has the largest negative change yeah. between all three divisions that we're looking at. And so there is still a little bit of a fuzz uh, on these numbers, but it's it's definitely something to look at. And if, if I had to set an expectation for Q3 2023, I would imagine that the entertainment division just continues to shrink into nothingness i don't know aside from the ips that they own i don't that are cartoon based i don't know what the entertainment division can do to sustain itself so just shrinking out to make a my little pony video every now and again or some transformers thing something that they yeah Netflix seems fine yeah um or maybe they find out that actually partnering with somebody instead is the way to go and let somebody else handle it somebody with a clue well i was gonna say the personnel but yeah that is yeah that is just a nice the, the most important saying. thing in business is hiring people that know what they're doing yeah exactly exactly you don't want to have to build that from the ground up so yeah uh i believe that is it for the investor call there's a lot more in this document that we did want to go over but it's going to begin to bridge into the episode that we're going to be doing next week which is the what if we ran hasbro episode so we will be coming back to touch on a lot of the other charts in this article because that is, for me at least, a lot of where change would happen. Spoiler alert. So yeah. 
while it is good to look at this, they are fairly nebulous to talk about on this investor call when we are just looking at Watsi itself and the rest of these light items are just a lot of negative numbers. Yep. So, ready for picks? Let's do it. Right. I went first last week, you're this week. That is exactly correct. So, my pick this week has been sitting on my list for almost a year or about a week off from that. And it is Whip of Erebos from Theros. So we're looking at the original artifact. We are not looking at the uh, the game day promo or whatever it is. So Whip of Erebos, if you don't know, it's a legendary enchantment artifact from the original Theros block. It costs two and two black. And it just says creatures you control have lifelink for a static ability. That's pretty neat. Then the activated ability of two and double black. Tap, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. If it would leave the battlefield, exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. Activate this ability only any time you could cast a sorcery. Now that last line is very important. And it's very, it was very important if you ever played that card in the pre-release. Because a lot of people didn't read all that text. And uh, that was fun as a judge to remind people. But that last little bit doesn't make a difference. Uh, what is interesting about this is that if you have a creature that... Uh, exiles itself or does something when it is uh, when it leaves the battlefield like Obsidot ghost council or whatever it is from gate crash as the owner of both permanents you get to determine where Obsidot goes so you would just whip Obsidot back into play and then send Obsidot out of play to its own ability and then bring it back in so if effectively you are re you were reanimating Obsidot on the cheap and that's not really something that's going on much with the card anymore, but it is like a cute interaction that you can look for overall. Uh, yeah. Not really anything that I think plays into the interest of this card, but just something fun to note. Now, I'll bring the stocks graph uh, back up. And as we can see, it, it is a very slow gainer. And then we get to uh, Eldraine and Theros Beyond Death. And if we notice, it spikes and holds there for a while. And that spike is most likely going to be because we found out that the god web, we were getting new gods in Theros. And, or no, we got the same gods in a different format and we yeah. were not getting their weapons. Or if we were getting their weapons, they weren't the same. So we knew this wasn't coming back. So people just jump in on it. Now, a year ago, Card Kingdom is buying 144 at $4.40. There are 136 unique prices on TCG Player for Stark $6.66. Now, Card Kingdom is buying, as of this moment, 87 for $6.60. And the foil, there are seven copies on... Uh, sorry, Card Kingdom is buying seven for $8.40, which is not the greatest split. On TCG, there are 155 unique listings at $9.51. So we can basically see an increase in everything besides the Card Kingdom buy quantity. That has gone down. When I wrote my notes, Card Kingdom was buying... 90 which is an increase of three from the current quantity for seven dollars and fifty cents which is a dollar more so in a handful of days three were sold and the price dropped by a dollar which i don't quite understand but i don't think it matters for this card yeah now when we look at commander itself within commander whip is played in decks that want to go really a bit longer it's not necessarily a combo piece but rather a bridge to the late game because that obsidot roundabout thing that's not a game winning combo that is a game sustaining interaction yep. you're not using that to nug a table out for two every end step that is a very long game to do that with 
So we are looking at decks that go long. And we see that when we take a look at stocks, not stocks, sorry, rec, and we see these generals. And it's just like, all right, there's a, the new one is Mortariant and Bellacor from Warhammer and Gix, who isn't even released in paper yet from Brothers War. But then after that, it's Erebos himself, Belzenach, sure. Uh, Graven is interesting. That is kind of a combo general because you generally want to like dismember six times on your turn and kill somebody. And then we just go longer and longer and longer. Tiamat, Naomi, Obnixilis, and you just have these long slog generals. Now, more specifically, these aren't quite mono black control style, style decks but they are more value style decks when you start reading through all those generals. They just wanna play this really, they wanna play as much magic as possible in a given game, Terrible. except for Obeka. Obeka is a combo general and Obeka does obscure the stats a little bit. So I'll put an asterisk on all this and that asterisk is Obeka. Now, even within the options for longer game commanders, you see a distinct lack of these salty options. New Braids is not there. New Shieldred is not there. Tegrid God of Fright is not there. Toxril is not there. These group slug generals are not here. Nope. The players that look at Whip aren't looking to slog down a game, but just play a longer game. More magic. And so that bridges us to the next point about this. I think this is an Invisibles card as well. I yeah. really think this card has Invisible's appeal. Because according to stocks, this is only in 35, 36,000 decks out of a possible 900,000 that it could be in. And it's not. this isn't a completely overpowering card. It plays well at the kitchen table and can be a win-con via recursion of similar late-game threats between Commander and Kitchen Table. And it's this that I think speaks to the delta between the price point and adoption rate on Wreck. The people that are truly interested in this card are people that do not self-report to sites like Wreck. Now, timeline, based on recent sales trend and the ability to immediately arbitrage a decent quantity of these across multiple platforms, I expect that if we are able to buy in now that we'll be able to get out for profit to buy a list within the next few months, three to six ish the current upward trend in price does seem to be related to renewed demand and we'll we will see that uh on rec with the two generals from 40k and gix from brothers war just new set generals putting a little more demand putting a little more pressure on this so as demand renews the fairly reliable though slow velocity picks up supply drains and we continue our journey towards zero quantity while it will take a fair amount of time to drain the open market to zero, there are several stepwise prices along the way that represent profit if we buy in now. So like I said, this has a market of 950, so it's going to be like 11, then 13. That's the kind of stepwise yeah. progress we're looking at. And this is slow. This sells like 100 or 200 unique a month. Yeah, it is kind of poop. But that also harkens back to being an invisibles card mm -hmm. it doesn't have that high visibility high liquidity because it's people that don't necessarily dedicate all of their time yeah also this was this is from the original theros block i'm bringing up this 
little nugget yep. right now. When do you think that set was released? God. Three years ago? Nine no. years ago. Oh, my God. September 2013. Good Lord. So we are almost a decade past that set. So population Ooh. is just low based on time, right? Uh, yeah. It's something I had in one of my drafts of this, but it did not survive. Like, we are a very long point out from this. And if you look at the temples, you'll see that they tank to like a quarter when they rotate. They flatten for a while, and then they spike up before their first like two reprints several yep. core sets later. And it just was that time and commander pressure, right? And yep. they needed a release valve, and we don't have it yet here. Reprint equity on this kind of card. I don't see it coming back in anything because these didn't come back in Theros Beyond Death and they weren't in the Warhammer decks. No. But uh, And we know next year we're not going back to Theros. So yeah. So it's got to be Universes Beyond at this point and I don't think it's going to be the Balrog's Whip in no. uh, LOTR. So I really don't know. I, I do not know. Um, we just saw, we just caught a Bident reprint, I think, in one of the Commander decks. And so, yeah, yeah sure, sure. Like, that makes sense. You just got to find the right spot for it. And this isn't a slow or clunky card by any means. It's just like graveyard recursion. And while Watsi does do that from time to time, they like to kind of throw you more interesting and new cards for graveyard reanimation. There was a a graveyard. Uh, there, the the Black Miracle is a reanimator spell that came in a commander deck. We just got that land from the the Warhammer decks. Like they they. They seem remiss to yeah. print, to reprint reanimation effects in commander decks when they can just make something better as an option. So, and that's fine by all means. Yeah. Um, by quantity, I have like temples and and the regular gods infinity of these because yeah. I was just vacuuming up those three. Commander had just really started to take off locally and in general. We were like two years removed from the first Commander set. I were, I think we might be at the second Commander set, maybe a year out from the second set of Commander decks. And all of these, the temples, the weapons, and the gods just represented something entirely unique. Um, but enough about me. I would recommend two to three play sets. Uh, of this card honestly and i know that's kind of steep based on the current price point but you'll be able to trade out at least one play set for profit yeah. soon and if you the longer you wait the closer you'll get to the black and then the rest can be sold for just gas for just yeah. pure profit after that so for me <clears throat> my number to get in if I had zero would probably be closer to the three play set and then I number so that's 12 and I would probably keep six scattered across a binder just so they weren't glutted and that would allow me to easily just arbitrage these quote-unquote arbitrage out of my binder I don't yeah we are nine years removed from this set you're not seeing a lot of this stuff in binders anymore and so I think it carries that little bit of appeal Uh, I think the other thing here that's really important is, you know, this this 
harken, you know, this this highlights the point that we always make that, you know, the invisibles, your kitchen table players are so important because this is something that kind of plays with the progression of a player. Right. Uh, you know, when you mentioned the EDH right generals, you have casual generals, you have like 75 percent generals, you have battle cruiser generals, and then you have an actual like CEDH level general. So this is something that can follow a player throughout their career as a player. Oh, yeah, that's a very good point. So it's got a lot of liquidity because it doesn't just have to go to the Invisibles, though those kinds of people love this card. It can go to someone at any level of play mm -hmm. uh, that just wants to do ETB shenanigans. Yep. Uh, you know, the other thing is, and this is something we talk about a lot, is more and more design has gotten pushed to really efficient creatures that do impactful things when they enter the battlefield. So anything that interacts with that is just good. Yes. Because it's only going to get better with time, similar to Collected Company, which at this point, I just don't think it's ever going to get printed again because of how toxic that standard environment mm -hmm. was. But yeah, I think it's super solid. I, I like it a lot. I, I The... The one thing that surprised me the most was when I was looking down that general list and I did not see any of those, like, very punishing generals on the list. I really thought a general that is interested in just slogging down a game and yep. just throw, like, playing Grave Pact and Dictate of Erebos and as many, like, one-for-one -one effects like that where you can just recur threats and yeah. make the board groan would play this card it would show up here because it's a reanimation effect and who cares if the second time you exile it you know like cool right you just green merchant somebody out of the game and i'm sure that's a high synergy card i just haven't looked yet yep there it is like and it was it it like like that that's what got me where i just yeah. realized that i was finally for the first time in a very long time dealing with a card that was mainly, I believe, an Invisibles card. Yeah. It's cool. It's, it's, it's interesting to see something like that. And then, like, watch the price trend go and, like, see continued interest in this card in such a way that it's just, like, truly organic demand. And it's, just, like, yeah, never... Yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah, never gonna stop. Yeah. Can't stop the rock. All right. Uh, he's got a new show about being young, so you certainly can't stop him. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Something else you can't stop is the constant surge of promotional cards that Wizards of the Coast is jamming down our throats. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is a good thing. I also think it is a very lazy way for them to try to make things up to an LGS for how badly they are dumpstering everybody. Yes. But I digress. At any point, my pick this week is one of those promos that is being jammed down our throats, and that is the new windfall. So for those of you that don't know, obviously we're doing every year, whatever, here's for every year of Magic's history, there will be a pre uh, promo. And for, I believe it's 1998, yes. we are getting Windfall. Now, why this is important is because this is an old border foil. This card only has one foil printing ever, and it's in a master set. Now, if you look at the stocks graph for the iconic masters one, there's a few things to note here. One, the price it's currently at. Our foils are sitting at around $25. Also bear in mind, there was a foil card in every single pack of Iconic Masters. Now, without giving too much away, I can tell you definitively uh, that most stores only received four packs of windfalls with eight windfalls in each of them. 
So that means that most LGSs only have 32 copies of this card to give out to all of the players at their pre-release events. So the promo version is going to have a significantly lower level of availability than what the Iconic Masters one has. Now, go back to last pre-release. Uh, if any of you paid attention to the prices, the Findor Nels is the example I'll use. It was $40 at the pre-release. They're $2 now. That's not going to happen with this card. No. Because this card is all over EDH. Yeah. Every level. I, similar from casual all the way up to CEDH. Yeah. This card follows you your entire EDH career. Uh, this is something that I would expect for the next couple weeks after the pre-release, because this will go. This episode will go live after the pre-release. Yes. That for the first couple of episodes after that, you will be able to trade it out fairly easily, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while doing so, I would say pick up as many as you can, because if the much more pr- the much more highly printed version that is also less desirable because it's new border. Yep is worth $25. This one, this promo one yeah. could easily hit the 40 to $50 price range. No problem. Yeah. And that's kind of where I think we're hitting like a big opportunity because until this market settles, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Just trade it out for stuff. I got the new card you want from the set. Give me that promo. Mm-hmm. Let's make a deal. Let's get it done. Now, as far as quantity goes, I personally, I'm picking up everything I can. Okay. I don't care. I'll pick it all up. Yeah. Uh, in terms of timeline, again, looking at the stocks graph, it's very interesting because you see it sit at seven dollars forever, yeah. and then there is a massive spike in February of 2020, and then it craters back down, and then we hit this floor, another spike, another spike, floor, and now we're kind of hitting a floor. So what I expect to happen is this price is going to tank for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then in about six to eight months, you'll start to see a little bit of growth. During that time, there's no way this doesn't have an insane level of liquidity. Just absolutely nutter butters. Because, again, this card is very good. Uh, Just is. And it's super liquid, super desirable. So if you need to get out of it Mm -hmm. to pivot into something else, you'll absolutely be able to. In the meantime... I'm going to pick up all of them that I can for sub $30 because with this being as limited as it is, I just don't see a world where it's not worth, you know, absurd amounts of money. You know, it's just going to be, but that's my thoughts on it. I think it's great. It's going to be insane. Yeah. I I keep forgetting about these promos because they were, I didn't look at them all and I was like, Oh, they're mostly duds. Lord of Atlantis is cute. If you don't have any of the other promo versions of it, like, it's unique art. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and I was like, oh, now that you brought back, brought this up, and I see Windfall, I just realized it's the only old border foil printing. The only thing I can think of is, like, seeing a foil gush in a case not too long ago for, like, a hundred and some odd dollars, but it's like, right. this is not... A... Like, that card's restricted and it's still that much. Yeah. And it's just like, is that like is that where we go with this? Is it? Do we get to? Do we go even further than you think we're going to go with this card? Because it is an old border foil. It is highly playable across all echelons of commander. 
it doesn't yep. have the vintage playability, obviously, that Gush does, but it is the only old border foil of this card. It helps reinvigorate interest in this card because the last time we saw it printed was, I guess, Commander Call Time. Yeah. So it pushes back up on this. And I think it it's as though it's not a tournament staple, there's just this kind of like, like luster on this. Yeah. And these types of cards from this promo series in general that I just I think I don't value properly and is always worth a, a good look. I, and it it's so this is I do want to say that while I think a lot of these are good, this is I think the best one of what we've seen so far. Because going back to quantity, another good one would have been the old border foil Chinese loyal retainers. But guess what? Shops only got two of those. Two. For a whole pre-release weekend. So you know what most shops did? Just gave them to their employees who bought them from the store. Yeah. Uh, And it's, you know, this is one that hits it like that good quantity, really good playability that yeah. I think is like a prime target to pick up. It's just so good. Yeah. It's really hard to come up with a lot to, to anything to say that you didn't already cover except for the fact that the people who curate old school foil cubes keep ironically getting more cards to put into that fucking <laughs> yeah, cube. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, I, this, is, this is an easy look. I think the hardest thing about picking this up is going to be prying them out of people's hands once you find them yeah i was also thinking about as you were talking about this thinking about the fin hordels because i vended the dmu pre-release and nobody brought me fin tornels but that doesn't mean people didn't have them they m- might just not have cared to yeah. offer them because they were more interested in just churning what they got in their pre-release kits to me while i was there well and one of the interesting things too that i found was you know, at my shop, we didn't get any of those promos until a couple weeks later. Oh, that could have been what it was, too. People just didn't want to get rid of them at the event because they were like, oh, this is so cool. And specifically with the Findorn Elves, a lot of people just wanted a playset. Yep. Okay. Especially as an Invisibles card, it's just yeah. an elf. It's just so. Exactly. It's just yet another elf that goes in the deck. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, I like Windfall. I, I always like Windfall. I'm remiss that I keep not finding my Windfalls. <laughs> Ah, they're in a box somewhere. I'll well, it's like, day. I'm looking at the reprint sets. I'm like, I have this commander set and this one and this one and this right. one. And this one. I'm like, where are all my windfalls? Yeah. <clears throat> I need them. I actually need them to play. Yeah. That's, oh, that, that's really it. Um, <clears throat> unless you got anything else, though, I think that's it for this week. Nope. I am good to go, my good chum. All right. So for at NTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are? At Thirsty Sizzler. And we'll see you next week.